We are talking about the Backyard Garden Blueprint Session 6 on Winter Gardening. And I just want to remind you from Session 1, you know, when it comes to... When it comes to gardening, there's different different um, areas to pay attention to. Actually, I should um, – it's going to take too long for me to pull up a slide. I should have put a slide in here. We, we have what we call our um, gardening game plan, which is kind of part of this blueprint. Maybe I'll put that in the handouts as well, right? So <clears throat> gardening can kind of be distilled down into four different areas. You have that ignition – um, which is where you are think of it think of it kind of like a rocket taking off right the ignition is where you get it started and th- that encompasses the areas of like we start, talked about at the very beginning of getting your soil right maybe doing a soil test but making sure that you focus on that soil getting getting all of that foundation set up for your garden and then you have launch where you're just getting started and that's like starting your transplants right um preparing your garden beds, maybe amending them, all of that whole section of gardening. And then you have um, grow, and that's like where your your rocket is taking off into the sky, right? Your plants are growing, and you're watering them, and you're trellising them, and you're caring for them, and you're dealing with pests and diseases and weeds, and there's that whole phase of the garden. And then the fourth phase of your garden is extend, And this is kind of an optional phase, and that is if you want to extend your gardening season into the fall or winter or extend it earlier into the spring, right? Or extend it all winter long. And we're going to share with you. And and so this fourth stage is what we're talking about in this last one where we're going to talk about winter gardening. You can use these principles either to just extend your garden, just make it a little bit longer, or you can use them in many places uh, for a large portions of the U.S. You can use it to grow all winter long without supplemental heat um, and with, without breaking your pocketbook. Very simple things that we're going we're gonna to share with you here that uh, can be very effective. So I told you that in this last session, we're going to do some fun giveaways, okay? So from time to time, we'll ask you questions during the session, and this is... Um, this is kind of off the cuff. So if you think of a question, we'll, we'll throw some questions out at you. And, uh, you know, whoever gets the right answer, we're going to give you, give you a giveaway that you will pick up at the booth. My wife is running to get some of our materials. We have some recorded gardening classes and, and stuff like that that you'll be able to pick one out. All right. So it's just, just to make it a little bit fun for our last session here. All right. Number six, winter gardening. So here's an overview. We have what we call our CTP winter gardening formula. Um, so C is stands for our simple formula to know what grows best in the winter versus the summer. Actually, I'll tell you what C stands for in just a second, but that's a description of what it is. T is the number one critical factor for a successful winter garden. And P is the key to keeping your plants alive in the cold and why wind is one of your f- worst enemies. So actually, maybe we should make you guess what each of these are, and maybe that will be the prize. And we have a little bonus here, how to build your own winter quick hoops and why they are so effective. So we'll, we'll help you with that as well. So C, our simple formula to know what grows best in the win- winter versus the, the summer. Um, so 
C, I'm not going to make you guess the formula, all right? But how many of who can guess what C stands for? This might this is maybe a little bit of a hard one. What's, what's that? Calcium. Someone said care. Compost. That's a good one. Someone should, it's not compost. Cruciferous? No. Climate. That's that's getting much closer. Much closer on climate. Cold. Huh? Conditions. That's yeah. Cold climate. Cover. Okay. Those 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 are all good. Um, I think we're gonna give compost the prize. That was that you. Right here. He said it first. All right, so so come to the booth and we'll we'll give you a prize. Um, C actually stands for um, cold tolerant, cold tolerant. Um, but because compost is such a big theme of our of our thing, I think we should give um, compost the prize there. All right, C stands for cold tolerant, and imagine climbing up a mountain. Who was it that said climate? We'll give you a prize too, because that's that's uh, very very similar. Because um, imagine climbing up a mountain. Each plant has an environment or a climate where it thrives the best, right? And um, so, at the bottom of the mountain, you have these tall pines, and then you go up to the top of the mountain, and eventually, you're going to break out of the what's it called? The tree line. The tree line, exactly. And then you come up, and up at the top of the mountain. It's not completely bare. There's this little flower that's growing up by a spot of snow up at the top of the mountain, right? But that flower thrives up there while the big tall pine trees thrive down at the bottom. And it's the same in our garden. There are plants that thrive in the cold and there's plants that thrive in the heat. So it's important when thinking about growing veggies in the cold of winter to choose veggies that do well in the cold. Instead of fighting nature, let's work with it. And this is how you can extend your season very easily. Um... Elliot Coleman says, the secret to success in lengthening the season without problems or failures is to find the point at which the extent of climate modification is in balance with the extra amount of time, money, and management skill involved in attaining it. Uh, To say that in simple terms is, what's the easiest and least expensive way that you can grow food in the winter? Um, And that's, that's our goal. In short, we want to know how to grow veggies over the winter in a way that's easy and cost effective as possible. So the first aspect of that is to grow veggies that naturally like the cold. And, uh, you know, not everyone knows what those veggies are. Uh, So here's just a funny little story from Bountiful Blessings Farm. And, you know, all all of us start somewhere. So so there's no shame in not knowing what grows in the cold versus versus the warm. You know, we're here to learn together, right? So there was a a, um, customer at the farm who signed up for our winter CSA. A CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. It's a subscription box to the farm. You get a box of produce every couple of weeks. And they were really disappointed that they didn't get green beans in their winter box. You know, those of you that chuckle, you chuckle because you realize, that, because you know that green beans don't grow in the winter. But not everybody knows that, right? And so this, this dear customer of ours didn't know that green beans didn't grow in the winter and she was disappointed and you know in, in our supermarkets are not helpful because you can buy green beans in the winter in the supermarket yeah where do they come from you know maybe they come from california or from peru or mexico you know they but they 
they didn't grow locally that's for sure so so maybe that's you i'm not going to make you raise your hand or not um but even if you do know most of the winter growing crops there may be some that you didn't recognize before so we're going to go through um some cold tolerant crops and this is our little formula i said there was a little simple formula for knowing what grows in the winter versus the summer this is the formula winter leaves and roots versus summer seeds and fruits so it kind of rhymes right Winter leaves and roots versus summer seeds and fruits. And this holds true mostly across the board. There are a few ex exceptions, uh, just like the English language. <laughs> no, there's less exceptions than the English language. But um, most of your winter, winter crops are your leaves and your roots. Your lettuce, spinach, broccoli, kale, um, cauliflower. Carrots, turnips, radishes, beets. I guess technically broccoli and cauliflower, you're kind of eating the, the fruit because you're eating the flower. But most of them are your, your leaves, your leafy crops, and your roots like carrots, turnips, beets. Um, so potatoes. Potatoes are a little bit of an exception to it. Now, Irish potatoes are a cooler weather crop, but they do not handle a frost. So it's true. You, you want to grow your potatoes in the spring um, or in the later part of the summer, um, they some are uh, potatoes are one of the biggest exceptions to it, mm -hmm. and that would include Irish potatoes and sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes, sweet even potatoes more especially, so. sweet um, potatoes are an even, exception. Yeah, yeah, they cannot tolerate any cold. Yeah, and then your summer seeds and fruits. Most of the crops that you grow in the summer are ones that you eat the seeds and the fruits off of them. Cucumbers, tomatoes, eggplants. What are all those? They're fruits, right? Squash. We're talking about fruits in the botanical sense, which means it's it's what forms from the flower. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then seeds are like corn and 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 such like that. Now there are some seeds. Like there, are, remember we said there are a few exceptions. Like for example, wheat. Oftentimes you'll grow that over the winter, and then you'll harvest it the next spring. So, so there's little exceptions here and there, but this is a general ballpark rule to, to there, are, there are several legumes also, for example, that will grow in the winter and, and that, but then you usually would harvest, they would grow over the winter, but you would harvest them in the spring. So let's look at a list of cold tolerant veggies that you can extend your season with. We've divided them into three sections here. There's low freeze called tolerance, medium freeze tolerance, and high freeze tolerance. Low freeze tolerance. So just, just to be clear, all of these can take some freezing, okay? But, but we're talking about more relative, they, they can take more and more and more. Harder, it's, yeah. harder frosts yeah. or lower frost. So lettuce, chicory, that includes like radicchio, endive, escarole. Those are more specialty. Um, broccoli, cauliflower, cilantro, parsley, radishes, celery, and bok choy. By the way, broccoli and cauliflower, the plant themselves is very hardy, but because you're eating the flower of it, the flower is more tender, and so uh, frost can really knock it out. Um, so that's, that's the reason why they're in here. Um, we have had broccoli in our hoop house that we have been eating off of all winter long. We're, I'm so happy. <laughs> and it, we, we had a frost down to 14 degrees, right? Yeah. yeah. And we still have our That was outside. Uh, no heat inside, but yep. we, we 
cover them with a single, with, you know, they're in the hoop house and then a single layer floating row cover on top of that inside. So yeah, two, so we'll, two covers and they're, they're doing beautifully. Yeah. So we'll, we'll tell you a little bit more about how you can do that. Um, medium freeze tolerance. This is a big list here. Uh, Chinese cabbage. Sorrel. Who knows what sorrel is? Does everyone know what sorrel is? Sorrel is a really neat plant. It has a very it's, it has a sour taste to it. Um, you eat the leaf. It's used a lot in Eastern European cooking, particularly in soups. Yeah. Uh. Rutabagas, kohlrabi, collards, kale, mosh. That is. Uh, does anybody know what mosh mosh is? Okay. <laughs> so that might be a new one for most everyone. Um, my wife knows what it is. Mosh is a uh, a French. It's kind of a exotic French green. Um, uh, it's it's actually an American weed called <laughs> called cornflower that that got exported to France and and upgraded and gourmet um, and they call it mosh and it's. <laughs> It's it's a it's a it's a highly valued um, green in France. It has a very buttery flavor, and it looks a little bit. It doesn't really look the same, but it's it's a little bit more like a spinach type. It's sort of small, spinachy. Small, yeah, so spinachy. All right, then spinach, um, beets, carrots, parsnips, dandelion greens, baby greens of any kind, Asian greens, lettuce, all of those. Baby greens can handle more of a freeze than the adult. Like if you grew baby lettuce, it can handle more of a freeze than an adult lettuce um, and then you have your high freeze tolerance uh, which is turnips that is your regular purple top turnip is very cold tolerant there are salad turnips for example a hackeri turnip is a very tasty amazing salad turnip we have some of those growing right now very sweet and they are a lower lower freeze tolerance so that's why i just mentioned them there and then brussels sprouts Cabbage, Yukina Savoy, that's an Asian green. Those are all pretty high freeze-tolerant crops. So, for example, those, those ones on that last list, we'll grow them outside in the field um, and just cover them with a single cover of floating row cover. And, and they do fine in the field um, down, yeah. down to the, you know, into the low teens, even single digits. You know, we, we, we're in middle Tennessee, so we don't get a lot of that kind of weather. So if it's, you know, it's a night or two of that kind of weather, they're, they're still fine. Um, if you had it extended for an extended period of time, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. The coldest we get down is usually around zero would be about the cold, coldest we get. We have gotten into the negative, negative five. But that, that will be, um, Maybe once or twice, not every year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So these are all great varieties varieties to grow in the early spring, fall, or even straight through the winter. Remember that your winter veggies are pretty much your leaf and root veggies, while your summer ones are mainly your fruits and seeds. All right. So the first one was C, which is stands for cold tolerant. Cold tolerant. T, the number one critical factor for having a successful winter garden. Can anyone guess what T stands for? Timing. You guys got it. You guys are smart. But I think that you said it first, timing. So you get a prize too. Come by the booth. We'll, we'll hook you up with something. So T is for timing. 
And most, a, a lot of people think about heat and protection when it comes to extending your season, right? But timing actually is one of the most critical, if not the most critical factor. Um, we want to protect our veggies from the cold and the wind, and we will talk about that with you. That's all true. But before we get there, we need the actual vegetables to protect in the first place, right? And it's perhaps one of the easiest things to get wrong when it comes to winter gardening. The, the f first critical factor to season extension is the timing of when you plant your veggies. Timing can make all the difference from having a harvest to no harvest at all. So let me tell you, let's, let's talk about why. Um, what happens is as the weather gets cooler and as the day length decreases, plants growth slows down. It just gets slower and slower and slower. And it will eventually come almost to a complete stop, if not a complete stop. Um, as a general rule, plants growth slows down the most when days become 10 hours or shorter. Um, it's a it's a time period during the winter that has been coined the Persephone time period, when days are 10 hours or shorter, and your plant growth is going to be pretty much the slowest during that time. During this period, your plants won't actually be growing very much. Hence, this is kind of a key, and, and for some of you, it may be kind of an aha moment when it comes to winter gardening. Your purpose in season extension isn't so much to grow plants in the winter as it is to keep them alive over the winter. So you need to get them grown before winter hits so that you can keep them alive and be harvesting off of them during the winter. Does that make sense? Particularly, the goal is to, to get them to maturity before you reach that Persephone period for where you are. So you, there, there are places online where you can find out where, where you are, you know, when your 10-hour days begin. Um, but once you, once you reach that, that place, for us, it's late November that, that we reach 10 hours and, and enter the less than 10 hours time. And um, we're, we're still in it right now. We, we come out of it in, in late January. Yeah. So um, that... If you can get your plants to maturity before you reach that time period, then you just hold them through that, um, that time. So the critical factor is to know when to plant your plants during the summer or fall so that they will mature by the time that winter sets in. Or if you want early crops in the spring, you're kind of working in the reverse. You know, planting starts speeding up slowly, but you're kind of working. Growing speeds up slowly. Yeah, growing speeds up slowly. Yeah. Um, so it, it works in this bell curve over the winter. And we'll show you a visual example of that here. So this is a visual example taken from data by a man named Elliot Coleman. He's a farmer up in Maine. Um, he has pioneered a lot of winter gardening. So this is credits to him from his book, uh, The New Organic Grower. I've adapted it, and this specific graph here is for growing lettuce at his location, okay? On the left-hand side is the number of days to harvest, all right, from when they, from, for his lettuce. On the bottom is your months going across the year, right? So if he planted it in August, it would take about 47 days for that lettuce to mature. Does that make sense? And he's, he's, he's using a a 40 day to maturity lettuce. So already in August, things are starting to slow down a little bit for him. 
So you'll notice that the day length is shortening as you go across that winter, you know, towards the center of winter, right? And as this curve goes up, that it's not an exact uh, marking of the of the day length, but you you get the idea there. So here's what happens: um, if you come to mid-August, um, if he planted it there, that lettuce would not be harvested until September 27. At the beginning of September, that lettuce would be harvested, be ready to harvest November 10. The beginning of October, the lettuce would be ready to harvest February 2. So that's one month apart in planting, but how many months apart in harvesting? It's a lot more, right? So then, and I won't list every single one of these, but you can see as you come down the other side... If you plant the beginning of January, you harvest April 12, but you plant the beginning of February, you harvest April 20. So things are starting to speed up again on the other side, right? You're planting a month apart, but they're harvesting closer together. So it's an interesting, interesting little curve here. Um, here's just a little visual to make it simple. Plant at the beginning of September, it takes 70 days. Plant at the beginning of October, it takes 120 days for that to be ready to harvest. So th this makes this is the trick of winter growing uh you're you know in, in growing in in spring and summer your your days to maturity is is pretty fixed you've got a, a stationary target but growing for for fall and winter and early spring you've got a moving target that you're trying to hit and and so it makes it a lot more complicated so this is um you know we were talking earlier someone mm -hmm. asked um, I'm just going to pull up our our seed time app again that we were talking about, and someone had asked earlier, you know, is this is this app built for doing you know hoop house growing or growing undercover or growing through the winter? And I mentioned that yes, we are actually building out the app with our proprietary winter gardening algorithm. It's an algorithm that we have. Um, come up with it's going to be in its beta so it's kind of it's a testing phase but we have come up with an algorithm that will estimate the harvest delays of your crop over the winter based on your location that's your latitude your growing zone and how many covers you're using on that crop so that you would be able to plan your winter gardening um, plantings so that you can have a continual harvest through the winter we do not have the whole um, algorithm set up in the app yet, but I'll show you just a visual demonstration of a little bit of uh, basically how it works. So for example, you see I have these, this is an example of radishes. Um, if I move it into October, you'll see that it bumps the harvest a little bit later. If I move it a week later, it bumps the harvest a little bit later. That's called a harvest delay, right? The harvest delays a little bit further. So when we get the algorithm built into the calendar itself, it's going to do that based on your location and how many you'll be able to put um, that I am growing this product, this crop under a hoop house, like under one layer or two layers, and it will adjust your winter growing estimated harvest times over the winter, which is pretty exciting. Um, in fact, I don't know if that – we have not found any other tool out there right now that does that. Um, I think this is a first. So um, we would love to have you guys come on to our beta members and 
start testing it out for us and make sure that we're that it, it works well across the different zones. We're we're wanting as we launch out, we're wanting to pull in a really good um, beta user group. Um, beta means that it's just in the more of the testing phase. Some people wonder what what are you talking beta? Beta means it's kind of in the testing phase, and we're we're wanting people's feedback and stuff as they use it. Um, so once again, if you would like to reserve uh, your spot to get access to the app when we launch it out. Come by the booth, and we'll have an opportunity for your, you to reserve your spot when we launch it out. And we'd love for you to um, be a part of that that group. So that's just another little example. And what that will do is, for example, if I bring these, you can see this here with the carrots. If I seed these carrots one week apart, they're actually harvesting several weeks apart. Does that you see that? And so you'll be able to plan succession plantings very easily and visually with the calendar. Just You just line them all up, and then it will spit out a checklist every week telling you when to when you should be seeding each one of those plantings, and you don't have to worry about it. Otherwise, it's, it takes too much to keep trying to figure it out. All right. Timing. So that's the visual demonstration. Timing is perhaps... Like we said, the number one thing that, that may cause most winter gardens to fail. Um, and that is because, but believe it or not, a lot of these crops have to be started in the middle of summer in many places. For example, if we want Brussels sprouts, like technically we should be starting those like at the end of June. But how many people are thinking about their fall or winter garden at the end of June, right? <laughs> it just doesn't happen that often. And so um, so when it comes to your winter garden, and that's one of the, the, the more ex extreme ones. You know, kale is sometime in August or the end of July or something like that. But even then, um, a lot of people aren't thinking about their fall garden yet. And so what often happens is they just, you're not thinking about it until fall is there, but then you don't have time to get them to grow to maturity before your winter sets in. But if once you get past September, um, there's not very much that, that you can plant. Uh, you know, there, there is there is in many still, places. Yeah, there is still a few things. But, you know, October, you've got a few things you can plant. November, you're yeah, <laughs> if you if you live in Florida, it's a different anybody here live in Florida. It's a different story in Florida. You know, yeah, there's it does depend on your growing your growing yeah. zone. So what if you do get your crops planted late can you save them um the truth is that day length may be uh day length is a factor with your days getting shorter and it may be the greater factor between the cold and day length but both of them do factor cold and day length temperature and day length. temperature and yeah. day length so when it comes down um to your plants growth slowing down um, heat does play a role as well. Think of protection and warmth as a little buffer to encourage your plants to grow a little faster before the days get too short. Um, so if you're, you can probably, you know, you can put a row cover or put them in a hoop house or something like that. And that may give you about an extra two weeks of, of extra growth time just to get those plants, um, it's, it's a little bit of a buffer zone. You, it, it does help, and, and your plants will grow a little bit more. Just, just an example that we have going on right now. Um, we, we get our strawberry starts from my brother, John, and um, he, he gets a large number and, and then sells them to other um, smaller farmers as well as using them for, on his farm. And his supplier 
um, had issues and was very late. Um, we, we, we received the, he, he, what he receives is, is the growing tips, you know, the, how strawberries send out a tip that, that will root. So he gets those tips and he, he, he puts them in pots. And so he received those tips about one week before we're supposed to be putting the, the plants in the ground for outside. So, um, we, you know, everything Which is not was, a good thing. Yeah, everything was way behind schedule. So uh, we actually got our strawberries planted about a month late. Now, ours were in the hoop house. And, and so they're, because they, they have the, the protection of the hoop house. Now, in the hoop house, we are not covering our strawberries with a floating row cover. So they have the single cover of, of plastic of the hoop house. Our, our other vegetables, when it gets cold, we'll pull the, the floating row cover over them at night, and then we'll take it off in the day. But the strawberries, we're not doing that just the single layer of plastic, but that is enough that they are, they're not up to where they're, they should be at this time, but they're close to it where they should be because they, they have that extra protection. So having, having that extra protection can give you a little bit of an edge. If you, if you happen to be behind on something, you can, you can cover it and, and that'll give you a little, little edge in, in catching up. We, we do that out in the field, too. Sometimes if we're behind in planting something, our, our carrots got in just a little bit late, and we covered them with a floating row cover um, and, and left them. They, they still have the floating row cover on them now we, we, from when we planted them in, in September. And they, they, they've caught up um, to where they should be. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it is a little bit of a buffer. All right. P is the key to keeping your plants alive in the cold and why wind is one of your worst enemies. This maybe is an easy one. <laughs> Protection. Okay. I have no clue who said that first. Um, so we'll have to think. Uh, we'll do one more giveaway. We'll figure out something in here. P is for protection. All in all, when you boil it down, any kind of protection is simply changing or modifying the existing climate in some way. This happens in a totally natural way in nature all the time. <clears throat> for instance, so there are so when you protect, you're creating a microclimate. In nature, there are natural microclimates. And what I'm going to share with you is some natural microclimates. It doesn't mean that each one of these is a protected climate. It just means there, there are these natural microclimates. Like a south-facing slope warms up faster because it gets more direct sunlight, right, um, in, the, in the winter in the northern hemisphere. Valleys tend to collect cold air, creating frost pockets, while hilltops tend to stay warmer. Um, we experienced this firsthand uh, at the farm in Tennessee. My dad and mom live up on a hill, and literally just walking up the hill, you can feel the air get warmer. Um, it's pretty, pretty cool. We can, we can be as much as 10 degrees different from the top of the hill to the fields down in the bottom of the valley yeah. on, on cold, still nights. Now, our good growable land is in the frost pocket, so we got to deal with the frost pocket, right? But if you have good growable land that is off of the frost pocket, you might want to consider growing there, right? Um, so you, you got to work with what you have. You, it's, it's your context, right? 
All of these little environmental changes create little microclimates where different plants can thrive. Our goal in protection is to do this as simply and as economically as possible. But it has to be balanced with, um, with reality when it comes to actually keeping your plants alive. So the question is, how much protection do I need? And we'll get to that in just a second. But first, let's note that protection has more to do with protection from the elements than it does the cold itself. Okay? Protection from the elements than it does the cold itself. We're growing plants that can handle a frost. We're growing plants that are already cold tolerant. Warmth is a key factor, and some plants do need more of it. Um, and so protection does play a double role. It does keep your plants a little warmer. But at times, wind may actually cause greater damage to your plants through desiccation of your plant leaves or causing wind burn on your plants. We've had this happen. Yeah. You, you know what wind chill is. Yeah. When the wind's blowing, it's a lot colder than, than it really is. It's the same for plants. The more still the air is around a plant, the lower temperatures that plant will be able to handle. Um, yeah, like Dad just said, it's, it's very similar to wind chill. And plants are a lot like us. If they are wet and cold and windy, your plants are going to absolutely despise it. And you'll, you'll know. <laughs> you'll find out. You'll see it. So, okay, here's the question that I'm going to ask you. We had lettuce plants that were under a, a quick hoop. They were under one, was it just one layer of covering when it no, got really cold? No, that was two. It was under two. Yeah. It was under two layers of covering um, in a quick hoop. And we had lettuce plants that survived down to guess what temperature? Minus 10. <laughs> okay, that's a good, that's a good one. Any other, any other guesses? 5, 15... Two seventeen, twenty-seven, zero. Okay. What was it, Dad? I think it was. I think it was about three, something like that. Yeah. So who said who? Did someone say two? You okay? Come by the booth. We'll have a <laughs> we'll have a bonus for you. Yeah. So um, yeah, they they. It's pretty amazing. Now, lettuce is one of the lower freeze tolerant, right? So with the right protection, and, and granted, you know, this is when we were commercially farming and those plants were prayed over. So they're, you know, God's blessing can factor in, right? Um, and I, I think we need to be clear that not all of them survived. <laughs> they, they, were, they were in, there were two beds that were covered with, um, we call it a quick hoop. And, and the ones on the outside edges didn't do so well. But the ones in the center did, did fine. All right. <clears throat> so when it comes to creating a microclimate, there are a couple things to consider. Um, one is you want to look at the microclimate that you already have or try and place your plants in the best possible situation to thrive during the winter. And then you do want to protect them from the wind and elements. Um, so... Let's look at protection, practical ways that you can protect. Protection can take on many forms, and it can range from anything as simple as growing next to a windbreak. Um, Elliot Coleman, that same farmer that grew in Maine, he tested the temperature of the air by a windbreak and, and out of it, and it was actually several degrees warmer behind the windbreak, just simply because of the windbreak, um, all the way up to building a full-fledged greenhouse. 
So we'll go ahead and cover several different ways to protect your veggies here. A windbreak or a hedge, uh, like I just mentioned to you, it can raise the air temperature a little bit. Um, so every little bit counts. And stopping that wind is going to help those plants do better as well. Remember, protection from the wind is one of the bi bi bigger things. Cold frames. Cold frames are pretty traditional, and they can be a great option for a home garden to extend your season. Um, the basic idea is you create this box. Um, over your bed and then you use sheets of glass or plastic as a roof and then you can tilt them up you put them on hinges and you can tilt them up for ventilation because you want your plants to also have ventilation especially on warmer days when the sun comes out it can get really hot in these by the way um, so you want to tilt them up uh, the glass or plastic yeah i just said that can be tilted up for ventilation this can be effective if you're only wanting to grow a small amount, but due to the labor and cost involved in building these, a cold frame might not be the best first choice, and you can only grow smaller vegetables unless you have a really big cold frame, right? So is this something you could grow spinach, you can grow carrots, you can grow some of those smaller, smaller crops in there. Radishes you could probably grow in there. Row covers. Row covers are perhaps... The overall best way to protect veggies from the cold because they are very effective for the amount of cost and labor involved. So this is kind of our go-to when it comes to protection in the winter. It's simple. It's a lightweight fabric cover that you can spread out like a blanket over your veggies. It's a spun-bonded fabric, quite similar to like a dryer sheet, um, only a lot larger, right? And you can spread it out over your, your veggies as a blanket. Some benefits are that they're lightweight. They allow light to pass through them. They're breathable. They protect from the wind. They increase the temperature under the row cover, and they are cost-effective. So, by the way, um, I should just point out that them being breathable is really fantastic because that means you don't need to vent them. Yes. I, right? I was going to point out the same thing. That's, that's a huge thing. <laughs> you know, the, the, like the cold frame... When it's sunny, you have to be out there. You have to keep it in mind. If the sun's shining, you've got to vent it, or, or it's going to get way too hot, and you're going to have a lot of condensation and, and humidity and disease inside. So, but the, the floating row cover will, will often cover our crops in the field with a single layer of floating row cover and leave that on all winter long. Never take it off except for when we're going in there to harvest. Um, it's, it, you can just put it on and forget it. It's really nice. Yeah. So like I said, it's kind of our go-to. It's one of our favorite things. So to use a row cover for protection, there's multiple ways that you can do it. You can just throw it over your crops, and there are certain ones that we do that with. It's usually the more cold-tolerant ones that we would just throw the row cover over top of it like a blanket. Right now in our <clears> field, <throat> we have carrots and rutabagas and Brussels sprouts. Um, all under a floating row cover, and it's just laid straight on top of them. Yeah. But for other crops, ideally, it is better to keep it up off of the plants somehow, have a little air gap between the row cover and the plants. <clears throat> so a great way to do that is you can use like these little wire hoops. That's something that you can use. Um, those are more effective with lower uh, crops that are like lettuce or something that doesn't grow really high. Another way is to build a quick hoop, which are like miniature little hoop houses. Um, and we'll describe how you can build that. Um, if you choose to purchase a row cover, here's what we suggest. There are different thicknesses of row cover. And we suggest a one ounce thickness is probably the best compromise in, in protection in the winter. 
Um, this offers a good balance of light. It about allows about 70% of light to come through so your plants can keep growing as it's under the row cover while offering a good amount of protection from the wind at the same time and a nice, a nice warmth layer as well. So the, the heavier the row cover, the more um, frost protection it's going to give, the, the warmer it's going to be, but also the less light will be coming through. So when Paul says a balance, we're, we're balancing the, the light and the protection. Yeah. And, and we found that this one ounce is, we, we feel like that's kind of the ideal um, compromise there. Yeah. In zone seven, where we are in Tennessee, one row cover can effectively protect most of the medium cold freeze tolerant crops that we had in that list there. Row covers can be doubled to add even more protection, but the second layer should be taken off to allow light and heat during the day. So you'd only want to put a second layer on at night when it's getting the coldest. You want to make sure that you get that sunlight back in there during the day so it can warm up. So again, I was mentioning inside our hoop house, we consider that the plastic of the hoop house is one cover. And, and then we have a second cover that we pull over some of our vegetables if it's going to get cold, really cold. We, we always want to, to pull that cover off as soon as the sun's out, and, we, and then we pull it on when the sun goes down. Um, so when you, when you're, if you're going to get into using a second cover, keep that in mind. That's more management. Um, you, you need to be pulling it off and on. Um, you, you just can't leave it on. Yeah. All right. In fact, and you can layer up many layers if you want. My Uncle John used several layers to protect some tomato plants when in the spring when we had a late frost. And it ended up being t in the 20s outside, but under the covers it was in the low 40s. And I think he used three. He might have even used four, four row covers. I don't remember. Um, and you can, you can double up row covers out in the field too. You know, just have one row cover that you have covering your crops all the time but then you, you know that it's going to get really cold. You can pull a second cover over it. We've even pulled a third cover over. <laughs> um, you know, some things that we really want to protect, and it, that works too. So all in all, row covers probably give the best balance between cost efficiency, protection, and labor. And here is a picture of what we call a quick hoop. I'm going to describe very briefly how you can make one of these for yourself. You... There's three main things that you need. One, two, three, yeah. Um, I guess four-ish. But the three main things is you need the row cover, right? You need the sandbags to hold it down. You can try using other things like rocks and stuff like that. We've just found that sandbags tend to be the most effective. Um, wind will work its way, work this row cover loose. Very, you know, if, if there's any, any looseness in it, the wind will find it. Um, yeah, I, we, you know, it seems to work pretty good in, in winds up to 30 miles an hour. If you're, if you have regular winds, um, above that, um, I'm not sure how, how effective that would be. Yeah. Yeah. And then you need the hoops themselves. And the way you can make these hoops is you can get gray electrical conduit, PVC pipe from a hardware store. You want it to be gray electrical. If you just get white PVC conduit um, or just white PVC pipe, 
it will become brittle and break down in the sunlight. Um, the gray one specifically is for use outdoors and will stay flexible. Um, so you, it's half inch, half inch gray electrical conduit pipe. You get a 10 foot length of it and you bend it over and it will cover um, six feet of growing space. We, we have gray PVC pipe that we bought in, I don't remember, 2007, 2008. And, and we're still using it. So it, you know, it, some of it has broken, um, but it's, it does last quite a while. Yeah. Now, actually, we cut the PVC pipe a little shorter than 10 feet uh, because we have a, a row cover that is 10 feet wide, and we want the row cover to lay on the ground on both sides. Um, so I, don't, I forget exactly how much we cut off of the end of it. It was really like a foot or something. Yeah, a foot, maybe a foot and a half. Maybe a foot and a half. Yeah. Um, then <clears throat> we took short pieces of rebar, like a two-foot piece of rebar, and you, put, you pound it into the ground on either side, and then you push the PVC pipe onto the rebar, and it helps hold it in a vertical position on the side so, it's not, um, uh, so it stays vertical and not just coming out of the ground at an angle. So that's one way, and we space them about five feet apart. Uh, if you, well, the it's five feet between the bows from yeah, one bow to the next the bow. bow. Um, it's six feet from. It will cover six feet. Yeah, for from one side of the the bow to the other side. Yeah, it, it's six feet across the ground. So we have two thirty-inch beds and a and a twelve-inch walkway between the beds. Yeah, and then you want to have a sandbag on every single bow. And then a couple on the ends, and you want to pull that row cover tight. Um, another another way you can make it do it is you can get a ten foot long metal electrical conduit pipe, and Johnny's Seeds sells a bender that you can bend your own metal electrical conduit hoops, and then those they you leave them ten feet long, but you push them down into the ground, right? And because they're metal, they're more rigid and, and, and stronger. So that is another option as well if you want to use a metal electrical conduit pipe. And um, these quick hoops are very easy to set up. They're very cost effect effective. Um, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't cost very much to set one of these up. And they can keep you with fresh greens all winter long in a lot of places. Um, and I, I should say if, you, if you're in a place that's going to have snow, you, you might, we, we use the half-inch um, electric conduit and space them five feet apart. But if you live in a place where you have snow, you might want to use the three-quarter inch conduit and, and maybe even space them like four feet apart or you know, closer to each other. Yeah. We, we have had them flattened um, in a, in a one-inch snow. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then the next step up is to make a uh, – well, you, you can make a quick hoop, or the next step up is to uh, make a high tunnel or a caterpillar tunnel. Those are basically the same term for um, two different ones. Uh, my cousin Jonathan actually sells caterpillar tunnel kits, if anyone is interested. His, his business is Farmer's Friend. If you look up Farmer's Friend, you can get caterpillar tunnel um, kits and we don't have time to go into the details on caterpillar tunnels and hoop houses and greenhouses, etc. Um, but each one is basically a stage up and costs a little bit more. Um, I, will, I will say that to the best of my knowledge, 
Um, Jonathan's caterpillar tunnels are the cheapest way that you can get plastic that you can walk under. Yeah. Um, covering your ground. Yeah, a caterpillar yeah. tunnel takes it to a height that you can easily walk under it. Um, it's not... You can generally have four beds in there. And um, and he has just started selling end walls as well, which basically makes it a, a small hoop house is what it really yeah. is. Is it basically a small hoop house? Um, a hoop house, the difference between a hoop house and a greenhouse is a greenhouse is a heated structure. A hoop house is an unheated structure. Greenhouses often will have two layers of plastic with an air blower that blows air in the middle, creating an insulation layer of air on them. Um, really any, any house that is heated would technically be a greenhouse, but that's just typically that like the more you move in that direction, that's what greenhouses end up, um, being. All right, so I'm going to take a, a very short moment, um, if you all are interested. Um, hun, you brought those. Oh, thanks so much. This is my wonderful wife, Natasha, my little boy, Ethan. And um, would you like to see very quickly what we have available and what you can pick up as your bonuses? Okay, so very, very briefly... Um, at the booth, we will have these available. First of all, we have a couple classes that my dad and I did um, online. This is a winter gardening class. Uh, going over our CTP strategy is, is basically what we just covered here, actually, on a flash drive. Um, so if you want a physical copy, um, this one is an organic gardening class, seven proven garden cheats that stop bugs from destroying your veggies, boost your soil health, and can double your harvest without using toxic or harmful chemicals. So it's, it's different garden cheats. It includes some of what we talked about with pest control, but we pull in some other different garden cheats as well. Um, we call them garden cheats, but there, there are ways that you can make, make gardening better and faster and easier for you. Um, this... D this is a DVD. Th both of those are on flash drive. This is a DVD called Seven Secrets of Organic Gardening. It's actually a seminar that my Uncle John did. Uh, and I believe it's about two and a half, two hours to two and a half hour long seminar covering seven secrets of organic gardening from starting your own starts to dealing with weeds cultivating to uh, he might have talked a little bit about extending season i'm not sure about that um he does talk a little bit about pest control in here as well it's in a dvd format so these um these of these three those of you who i said could get a bonus come by the booth and you can pick out one of these um any one of these um, we are also putting these on clearance sale. So if anyone wants to come by, normally they were like, this was 20. I think these were maybe 15 or something, 15 or 20. Um, we're putting them on clearance sale, all of them for 10 bucks, or you can get all three together for 25. So we're just wanting to move them. So if any of you are interested in them, you can come by the booth and get those. We also have our... Home gardening course. This is a flagship home gardening course that ha goes into a lot more detail. Um, it comes on a flash drive. It, I know it looks, you know, it's kind of deceptive because these are both the same size, right? But this home gardening course has over 18 hours of 
demonstration and teaching videos going step by step through the process of of building and growing a garden. And so it covers literally everything from planning your garden to starting your starts. A lot more in depth on pests and diseases and trellising and watering and and all those things. A lot more visual demonstration videos in here as well. So if you're interested in that, you're welcome to come by the booth. Otherwise, um, also at the booth, like I mentioned earlier, if any of you are interested in reserving your spot to join to for the Seed Time app, how many of you are currently Born to Grow members? Do I do I have any hands? Yes, awesome, fantastic. I always love my uh, our members. So. <clears throat> If you would like to reserve your spot, one of the easiest ways to do that is to become one of our gardening members. We have a membership where you get online access to a lot of training, as well as you would get instant access to our current click-and-drop gardening calendars. They are not as flexible as the app, and as a member, you would get first access to the app when it launches. So that's the easiest way to reserve your spot. Um, if you didn't want to become a member right now, we do have another way to reserve your spot. You can ask You can ask me about that, but that would be the easiest way. Also with the membership, we have an option with our elite members where my dad and I jump on once a month and we do a live, a live um, meeting together and um, it's a lot of fun. We, our members jump on, they ask questions, we do a little training session, we give a little garden update from what's happening in our garden and we also have a private Facebook group that they interact with throughout the month as well. So if you're interested in any of those, feel free to come come by the booth or if you have any questions or just want to talk, we would love to spend some more time with you. It's been a real blessing to be able to share with you and you guys have been such a fantastic, fantastic audience. Yes. All right. Well, should we take just a couple questions? We have two minutes before five. Um, we can take a couple questions before we end here. It can come pre-cut. So if you go to like Lowe's or Home Depot, they often have two foot lengths of rebar that you can use. Um, you can cut it yourself, but then you need like some type of grinder or torch or something like that to do it. Yeah. Question. All right, where do you buy your row covers? Um, there are multiple places online. Uh, my cousin's uh, store, Farmer's Friend, he actually sells row covers there. And he sells sandbags. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that's the first place I'd point you to, right? Uh, but you can also get them at Johnny's. Johnny's sells row covers. Um, Seven Springs Farm online is another, another source that you can buy row covers. Uh, so all of those are online. So Seven Springs has an online store. Johnny's uh, online as well. And Farmer's Friend. Farmer's Friend. Yeah. Farmersfriend.com. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So if it says it's a row cover, is it breathable? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another term for them is frost cloth. That would be another term that you might see. Good question. It makes them a lot heavier and harder to manage. Um, otherwise, it does not necessarily. I mean, we have a, that, We uh, haven't done anything different with the when it rains. Yeah, than, in the in the winter time. Yeah, but really, it's not a, an issue. They're they're breathable enough that that too much rain isn't isn't a problem really. They the one one thing 
is that you know if you're if you're pulling the row covers, um, and it's and it's near freezing, they they can if they're wet they will stick together and it's it's really it's almost impossible to get them apart without tearing them, and so you 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 want to make sure that you have them in place uh, before you get wet and freezing conditions. Uh, but you want to get something that's that's pretty beefy. Um, you know, we have uh, Paul's brother-in-law, Luke Fisher, is in is in Oklahoma, and um, he put up hoop houses that were like ours, and and they were destroyed. It's happened more than once yeah. that his hoop house has been completely lifted off the ground and moved into a separate pasture. So, and it didn't fare well. Um, so, yeah, I, we get what, what large winds can do. And with quick coops, um, yeah, it may not work. It may, you may have to figure out something better or figure out a way that you could protect it from the wind somehow. So the question was, is the cloth resilient enough to stake it? And no, it will tear. Well, there, there, there is something called a, a ground staple that... That's one of the things we used initially before we got to the sandbags. And, um, but there, you know, you, you want to be able to take those off and put them back on again. And it's hard to pull those staples out of the ground and put them back. You yeah. know, that's it, it, a pain. Um, another thing you can do is you can put earth along the, the, the row cover to hold it in place. You might be able to do that on one side, but you'll need the other side you know, so that you can lift it up and down. So th there are some other things, but honestly, we've, we've tried, I think we've tried almost everything that you can try from, you know, jugs and, and um, lumber and rocks. And we, we've tried all kinds of different th ways of holding these down. And, and these sandbags are, are by far the best thing. They're just the easiest to manage. Um, the one thing about sandbags, you do need to make sure that the material that's used for that sandbag is UV resistant. You know, a lot of the things that, the makeshift things that you use or could be tempted to use um, are not UV resistant and they'll break down and fall apart in the sun. So, the, and we, we did have the, <laughs> the unfortunate experience of buying some sandbags in which the, the thread used to sew the sandbag together was not UV resistant and the bags just fell apart. So yeah. uh, the, you, you want to make sure that whatever material you're using is UV resistant. That's, that's very important. All right. Well, it's been a little bit of a marathon. <laughs> All right. So yeah. we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. And thank you so much for for listening and going through the through the course. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. <laughs>